When I think about this passage, one thing that comes to mind, I don't know if you guys have any favorite movies that have that timeless scene where, where two people are just running passionately toward each other. You know, where uh, a man and a woman are running across the beach to, to get ready for a passionate embrace and a kiss. If you're like us and you got kids, it might be Madagascar where uh, Alex... The lion and Marty the zebra and the dream are running towards each other. Alex, Marty, you know, whatever the, the picture is, you, you get this picture of two people that care about each other a lot running towards each other. And that's some of what I see in this passage. When I look at, at a God who pursues people that need Jesus, the, the God we saw in Jesus' own parable about the prodigal son, you remember the father waiting at the end of the driveway? He sees his lost son come home, and he goes running for him. That's what I see on God's part. And on the, the human side, I see Cornelius as a man who is uh, seeking for God, as best he knows how. And the Holy Spirit obviously causes him to do that. We don't seek God of ourselves, but we see the Holy Spirit drawing him in. And you really see the, the two sides coming together. The God side where, like Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That was his passion. That's God's passion. That should be our passion, to seek and save what was lost. And then the Cornelius, the human side of what God said in Jeremiah, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And we see these two coming together. And I want to dive in with you. Acts chapter 10. This sermon is going to be a little ADD. I, I, I usually like to break things down into like three to four memorable points. As I went through this, there's so much going on in this passage. How many of you are ADD? Oh, some of you just won't admit it. That's all right. You're going to enjoy this sermon. If you like those three points, you probably won't like this one too much. But bear with me. Hopefully God will speak through the, the ADD-ness. Verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. And I want you to listen to this description of Cornelius. He and all his family were devout. They were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This is a guy that, that if we're looking at a person's works and how they live their lives, this guy is, is doing pretty good, all right? Number one, he's a centurion. That means he's a high-ranking officer in the Roman army. He oversees 100 soldiers, so he's responsible, experienced, and he's in the Italian regiment. For lack of a better explanation, that was the Navy SEALs. Of his day. These were soldiers that were picked out of the rest of the soldiers for distinguished service. And he's one of them. So he's a hardworking, responsible man. He and all his family were devout. I mean, they had a reverence about their lives. They feared God. They believed that there was a God. And they wanted to live their lives in light of that fact. But it didn't just stop up here. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. If there ever was a person who could get to God by their own good works, it was this guy. You try to top that description 
of someone who lives a good life. But that's not what this passage is about. Just to spoil it a little, and most of you guys know this passage anyways, if that was enough, Peter would never come to Cornelius with the message of Jesus. God would never send Peter with the message of Jesus if this was enough. And I've seen this creep its way even into the Christian church, into preaching and belief in the church, this idea that somehow if I just do this and this and this and this and this, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm going to be good. I, I saw sort of a funny Facebook post this week of a guy that showed up at the pearly gates and God was standing there. And God says to the guy, I was going to let you in, but you didn't forward that post on Facebook that says you love me, that everybody said, if you don't forward this, you really don't love God. So, <laughs> sorry. Most of us don't believe that, but some of us may, may have bought into this lie that if I could only live good enough, I can somehow find my way into heaven. This passage blows that up. It, it also blows up the idea that, hey, all roads lead to heaven. You know, whatever I believe, I, I could follow the Islamic path, I could follow the Hindu path, I could even follow the paths that some people in our churches do. I could just go to church regularly and do good things and somehow get to God. This, this passage, the very fact that God sends Peter to Cornelius with the message of Jesus says that's not true. No matter how much our world tells us that there are many roads to heaven, God's wasting his time sending Peter here if that's true. There's only one way to heaven. And to go back beyond Peter, think about this logically with me. If there were many roads to heaven and people could earn their way there or just believe whatever they want and got there, and Jesus went through everything we believe he went through, excuse the crassness, but he's a complete and total idiot. If all roads lead to heaven. Do you agree? If he knew you could get there believing anything and he went through the whippings and the cross, he's an idiot. But he's not an idiot. What he is is he's a loving God who knows he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And that his blood and trust in what he did in our place is the only way to get there. I want to go on. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. Well, this is cool. You, you see God working to draw this man and the lengths that God went to. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute. Because one of the things that we sometimes wrestle with, I've wrestled with it is, okay, Jesus, you tell us you're the only way to heaven, but what about that person out there? A lot of times it's hypothetical. Sometimes it's a real person we got in mind that's never heard about you. What about them? How are they going to get to you? And I think what we see in this passage is that those who respond to the truth that God has given them, those that God has chosen to draw to himself, those that believe like he did that there's a God and I should live in fear of him. You can find that out just by looking at creation, by the way. Paul says that. Those who respond to that, God will move heaven and earth to get them the message of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we're going to see in this story. He says in Acts chapter 17 that God determines the times and places that we will all live. You know why it says he does that? So that we will search for him, reach for him, and perhaps find him, for he is not far from any one of us. That's what it says. He puts us where we're at purposely so that we'll search for him. And if we respond to the truth we have, he will bring us the message of Jesus Christ. It's those who are not called, who are not chosen, who suppress the truth that they do have. And Romans 1 talks all about that. That's the other side. Those who are not called, those who suppress the truth, God gives them over and says, have it your way. And and what that leads us to is hell is not going to be filled with a bunch of people that are saying, man, I wish I could be with God. I love God so much. I, I wish I could have gotten there. Really, hell is filled with people that suppress the truth about God that they do know and really want nothing to do with worshiping God. They, they made a choice, and God's choice is involved there and how those two come together, there's a mystery. But there's, I don't believe there's going to be anybody in hell that's saying, man, I love God, I wish I somehow could have. If he had only... I don't believe that. Lee, Lee Strobel painted a picture of it this way. He said, imagine you're at school. Some of you guys are probably in school right now. Just about done in a few weeks. There's a popular kid. He's, he's the funniest kid. He's the smartest kid. He's the best looking. He's the most creative. Dallas is smiling. He's like, that's me. <laughs> there, there's two responses to the, the, the person that's the most creative, the, the, the most athletic, the most powerful, the, the most loving, even cool, whatever. One is, man, I want to hang with that guy. I want to I be with him. I want to be part of his group. The other response is, I don't want anything to do with that guy because he's going to take away from my limelight. He's going to take away from my, my swag. That's what you guys say these days, right? <laughs> and, and Lee Strobel, <laughs> he says it's basically the same with God. God, you've got the most beautiful being in the whole universe, the most creative, the most loving, the most awesome universe. And there's two responses. One is, I love him and I want to hang with him. I want it to be about his glory, and I'll do whatever it takes for that. The other is, no, I want it to be about me and my glory, and I want nothing to do with this truth I know about there being a God. I want nothing to do with lining my life up according to his plan. And that's who I believe will unfortunately populate hell, those who who make that choice. But you see God going out of his way to reach this man who's responded to the truth that he does have. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa, this is the angel talking to Cornelius, to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now I like this fact that Peter is in Joppa. Joppa is a seaport town. And those of you who know your Old Testament, maybe were here last year when we preached through Jonah, what else do we know about Joppa? That's where Jonah ran to to catch a boat when God said, I want you to go to the non-Jews, the Gentiles in Nineveh and give them a message so that they'll repent and believe in me and not be destroyed. And Jonah said, no, God, I I don't want a God that loves the Gentiles. I believe in a God that loves just us. So I'm going to catch a boat from Joppa that goes as far away to Tarshish as I can possibly get. He's running away from God's mission to non-Jews. But what I love about God 
is centuries later, he hasn't given up on people that aren't Jews. God doesn't give up when he sets his heart and his love on people to lead them to Jesus. So here, he says, send a messenger to Joppa, the same city, and send for Peter. And this centurion, who's used to giving the orders, used to telling other people what to do, says, okay, I'll do it. So verse 7 says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told him everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. He obeyed. He obeyed the little bit of light that he did have from God. Now let's go on to verse 9. We're going to transfer from Cornelius' house over to where Peter's staying. And I want you to see how God is working all sides of this. I want you to get a big picture of a God who's in control. When you think about those people in your life that need Jesus, I want this to encourage you that he can put those pieces together in a way that you never could. Verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and you can see he's hungry. I think God even used his hunger in this vision. He's thinking about food, right? So God uses that. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. Now what's, what's Peter's problem? He's grown up Jewish, right? And there's chapters in the Old Testament, Leviticus 11 being one of them, that have this large list of animals that they weren't allowed to eat, pigs being one of them. And there are unclean animals in those lists in this, and, and Peter says, surely not, Lord. Now, we could preach a whole sermon on that. Some translations just say, no, Lord. And, and we could preach a whole sermon to say, you can say no, and you can say, Lord, but can you really say those two words together? <laughs> what does Lord mean? Master. So no and master don't really go together, but Peter's just wrestling with what he's always known. Sometimes we're there too. God tells us to do something uncomfortable, to hang out with someone that we're not comfortable being around, to go into an area, a situation that, that's not what we're used to and and we say no, but God's patient. He goes on to have this conversation with Peter. Peter says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice spoke to him a second time. You see God's love and patience. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter's a man, so it says this happened three times. <laughs> three times God said, God goes through this whole process. She goes down. It's okay, Peter. Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now there's good news on a couple levels here. One, one of the, the good news here is we are free as God's people today to enjoy bacon. They got Baconalia going on at Denny's right now. If, if, if this vision hadn't happened with Peter, that'd be a no-no for all of us in here. Okay, that's the smaller good news. The, the bigger good news that I think we ought to celebrate is if this vision hadn't happened, the deeper point is God is telling Peter, hey, not only is, 
this food that you always thought was unclean, is it clean now? Those people, those non-Jews, which, which they had all these rules, like you, you had rules about how to deal with non-Jews in business. Uh, you had to be very careful. Some people were so extreme, if you touched a non-Jew on the street, you had to go home and wash right away. But you certainly could never go into a non-Jew's house and sit down and have a meal with them. These are some of the man-made rules that had grown up around them. And so for all of us who are non-Jews, it would be impossible for us to get the good news about God because he gave it to the Jews to pass on. Now God's opening that door. Isn't that good news? Without this vision, we wouldn't have heard. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Now, you putting this all together, while Peter's having this vision, the men who had left a day or two before are showing up at his door. God is putting these pieces together in his life. They stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So now the Spirit is speaking to him, telling him they're, they're down there. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter goes down, verse 21, and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. What I want to just say for a few minutes here is a lot of times, unfortunately for us, our lives become very divided if we're followers of Jesus. And what I mean is, I have my time in the morning where I read my Bible and I pray, and then I have the rest of my day. And the two are very disconnected. Half the time I don't even remember what I read. I, I certainly don't ask God to show me how to apply it. I just check it off my list, and then I go into me mode the rest of the day. That's not what I see going on with Peter here. I see Peter praying I see him listening to God, and then I see God leading him in his actual life, even in going downstairs to meet these men, to do what it was God spoke to him. And I wonder if we have that kind of vibrant connection with God, where it's not all head knowledge, it's not all quiet time and then my life, but is there a connection? Are we listening to God through his word? Are we praying and saying, God, Help my eyes to be open today. How do you want me to live this out? Because he could care less if we got a church full of people that, that know it all. Knowledge puffs up, right? Love builds up. He, he's looking for a life change. We're, we're well fed in the knowledge department, right? Most of us that have been in the church a long time. Is it finding a way into our lives? That's what we see with Peter here. What he heard from God is, is changing changing things. And, and sometimes God calls us to do something like that whole vision was, hey, Peter, it's okay to hang with Gentiles now. And Peter's like, <gasps> sometimes all we got to do is start with a small step. You see what he did after he talked to these men? Verse 23, Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. He's not taking the, the hours long journey to see Cornelius yet. He's just taking the first step. Okay, I had this vision. God said this is okay. This is what he wants. 
So I'm going to invite them into my house. And you think about that when we think about the Great Commission today. God wants us to go into the world and make disciples, but what's the first step that maybe you need to take? Maybe it's just shaking hands with that neighbor across the fence or talking to that kid at school that, that nobody talks to. I don't know what it is, but what's the first step that God's calling you to take? It may be a small one, but it'll get you on, on the way. Verse 23. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Later on, we'll learn that he took six guys with him from Joppa. And, and we don't know if he just wanted some, some backup. Like, <laughs> this is kind of a crazy mission, God. I, I need to take some of my boys with me. Or if he wanted some witnesses, because he knew he was going to have to explain this to the church leaders. Did you hear Peter was saying? He went into a Gentile's house. He's going to need some people to explain what happened. So six of them go along with him. And it says, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Now, this bowing down was obviously misguided. Peter's just a man, but you can see the humility in Cornelius, right? He's a powerful centurion of the Roman Empire, and he's bowing down. It's misguided, yes, but you see his humility, and Peter steers him, says, hey, I'm just a man. Verse 27, while talking with him, check this out. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius has been going out telling his friends and family, hey, this guy Peter's coming. I've been praying. God's doing something. Come here. He said to them, you are well aware, this is Peter, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I like this part. He leaves out some stuff. I think I could be wrong. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection." He sort of leaves out the part, like, God had to give me this vision three times. <laughs> He's like, I came without any objection. Yeah, whatever, Peter. <laughs> May I ask you why you sent for me? And that's a great question. He, he didn't assume what was going on. He said, hey, why'd you send for me? What, what do you need? That's a good question for us to ask when people invite us into their lives, their homes, their situations. What do you need? Why'd you send for me? You might learn something instead of just jumping right in. He, he says that, and Cornelius says, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Man, you talk about a stage that's set, right? A preacher's dream of this kind of stage. A room full of people that are eager to hear what God has to say. That's what God did here. <laughs> this is every preacher's dream. And I, and I think about Cornelius. Neil Cole and others have called Cornelius an example of something called a person of peace. It comes from what Jesus told his disciples. When they went into a town, if they welcome you, stay there with somebody and, and preach the gospel and, and raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons. 
That's a person of peace that welcomes you. They give you access to the rest of the town. They, they let you into their world and, and help you get to know the rest of the place. But what did he say? If they don't welcome you, kick the dust off your shoes and get out of there. And, and what Neil Cole and others say is we need to look for the people of peace in our lives. Sometimes we spend too much time trying to ram the gospel down people's throats that have flatly told us, I'm not interested. And it's not that we don't keep praying for them and loving them, but, but this person of peace principle that Jesus laid down and what we see with Peter is, hey, why not pray for someone that is receptive and will help you get inroads into your neighborhood or your family and then spend your time there. You know, if they're not receptive to it, that's God's department. You, you've done your part. You're going to keep praying and you're going to keep looking for opportunities, but you don't have to stay there and ram it. Look for this person of peace. And you say, what's that look like? You guys heard about with Jim and his funeral at, at, at the newspaper. That, that was a person of peace that asked you to do that funeral. They gave you access to the whole staff of the newspaper. It could be like you mentioned, Denise. Denise is uh, a boss at her work. What, what's your position again? Excuse me. I know I'm calling whatever, you. Whatever I decide it is. Okay, whatever she decides it is. <laughs> and uh, she says sometimes as the boss, it, it's tough when you got people working underneath you for them to receive you because there's that boss employee thing. But, but she's made a point to start walking around and talking to the employees that work for her. And now when they go out and grill burgers at lunchtime, they're saying, hey, Denise, do you want one? That's an example of them welcoming them into their lunchtime hour, a potential person of peace that will then start to see, wow, there's something special about Denise. So who's your person of peace? Pray for those. Look for those. Who is it that's receptive and can help you spread the gospel at your workplace and your family and so on? We go on to Peter's message. The stage is set. God's done his thing to bring all these people there. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I think that's some awesome news that we could just blow right past. God does not show favoritism. He, when, it, when it comes to where you're from, what your past is, you keep going down the list. What your family life was like growing up. He does not show favoritism. God is a God who came to seek and save what was lost. That's a beautiful verse. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then check out Peter's summary of Jesus' life. Verse 37. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jim, I know that's one of your favorite verses, man. Luke chapter 4, right? Quote in Isaiah. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit we're anointed with, and power. And I love this part because a lot of times we get into this debate about do we do good works or do we preach the gospel? And people get nasty on both sides. Like, all you care about is social action or you people who preach the gospel, you, you don't care about the needs. And there's this back and forth as though it's got to be either the gospel or we show love. Check how he described Jesus' life. He went around doing good. All right, show somebody that verse the next time somebody tells you social action as a Christian that's undergirded by the gospel doesn't matter. 
Jesus himself went around doing good. So it's obviously part of the, the package and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And here's the other side. He got the good works. Then verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus did good works and he commanded his followers to preach the good news of his death and resurrection. It's not an either or. Saying it, you got to pick one, it's kind of like saying, do you want your pizza tonight with cheese on it or sauce on it? You take either one of those off, it's not very good. I think it's the same in our Christian lives. You remove the message of Jesus or you remove the actions, it's not very appealing. We, we need both, and that's how Jesus lived. But he goes on, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We've heard these verses so many times, we could almost go to sleep reading that, I fear. These Gentiles, hearing this from a Jewish apostle, saying everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, this, this must have sent ripples through that crowd. You imagine them start to whisper it. Did he say, everyone? Us? Non-Jews? Like, this blew their minds. And, and I don't know how Peter wanted to close this message or if he had a plan, but God interrupted. And it's great when God interrupts. It happened to Peter when Jesus was here. Remember that Jesus gets transfigured and, and Peter's like, hey, we should build some houses here. You know, we should all stay here. And God's like, Peter. This is my son whom I love. And he, you know, God sort of interrupted him there. He interrupts him here through the Holy Spirit. While Peter was still speaking these words, God the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. While he's still preaching, the Holy Spirit enables this room of people to believe that, yes, Jesus died for us. He died for me, and, and they believe, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. It says, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Just like it happened to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, it's happening to the Gentiles now. God is upon them, and, and the tongues there, it doesn't mean that happens to every believer all the time, but what God's showing this early church is, hey, the same Holy Spirit that came on those Jews is in these people now. I accept them just like I accepted you. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the natural next step in the New Testament. When someone gives their life to Jesus to make that public statement, that I'm with Jesus, I love him. And, and they have this baptism celebration. And then to top it all off, they ask Peter to stay with them for a few days. Imagine that he did. And that alone shows you that things have changed, that Peter stayed in the home of a Gentile. And many Gentiles were there who had accepted Jesus. As we close, I just want us to think about a couple of things. One is, do we believe in a God who's still in the business of putting these pieces together to draw those in our lives that need Jesus? 
Are we expecting that he will do this? I hope so. And if we are, we need to ask, who's our Cornelius? Who is it that's receptive to what I have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I listening for that, looking for that? Am I, am I open to that? Second, like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, 10, 15 years ago, there was this huge obsession with angels. Everything. I mean, TV, commercials, trinkets, it was everywhere. It's like people were so obsessed with angels. But there's another side to that story. The Bible says that angels are sort of obsessed with what God's doing through you and I. It says angels long to look into the, the things that we're a part of, the good news of Jesus, how he's saving people. And the kicker in this story is the angel didn't get to tell Cornelius the gospel. God used the angel to put the pieces together, but guess what? He saved the opportunity for a human named Peter. Same with us. Angels long to look into what God's doing in our lives. They may work to set the appointment up, but you and I have the privilege of delivering the message. And I wonder, are we taking that privilege? The angels think that's special. I wouldn't even be surprised if they wished they could be a part of that. We can. And I wonder if we're taking advantage of that opportunity or just taking it for granted. As we close, I want to pray that we as a church would be a group that, that believes in the potential for powerful ministry in each one of us. This started back when Jesus was here with Peter, a, a fisherman from, from backwoods Galilee with a, with a hot temper. And J Justin and Becky uh, said they think he was the ADD apostle. You know, the, just the way he would jump into <laughs> speaking without thinking. And, and you think about Jesus pulling this fisherman and you think about the conversation when, when Jesus said to him, Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Jesus didn't see, he, he knew the sin, he, he saw the sin, but he looked through all that. He saw the weakness. Later on, Peter was called an ordinary guy by the leaders. He, Jesus saw that, but he also saw the potential through the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus told him, whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven, I give you the keys. We've seen it three times now in Acts. We saw it on Acts 2 when he preached the message to the Jews. He opened the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. We see it when he went to Samaria after Philip preached there. And he went down there in the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. And now we see him opening the door to the Gentiles. Paul's going to take that mantle and, and run with it as we know, but to think that Jesus saw that potential in a fisherman from Galilee, and I wonder if we believe that he sees the potential for powerful ministry in us, or if all we see is the ways we fall short, the things other people say about us, the, the sinful tendencies we may wrestle with. I want us to see what Peter saw, that God looks through that. He knows the Holy Spirit lives in his people. And the potential for ministry inside each one of us is just off the charts. If we believe that, I think it'd change the way we lived. All right, Lord, I pray that we believe that. That we believe when you look at your children, you see people indwelt by the Holy Spirit on a powerful mission for you.
God, we're not defined by sin. We're not defined by our weakness. We're not defined by our illness or lack of experience or lack of power or whatever it may be that we think about. We're not defined by our hurts. We're defined by who we are in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for divine appointments, that you'd use us, much like you used Peter, lead us to our Cornelius's and help us to see your salvation spread into our world, those who need a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.